Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So this past week, I was just extremely aggravated with a member of our church. I'll call out names. This is the first time I'll do this. It was me. Well, who were y'all thinking I'd actually bring up like that? Come on. It was me. You ever been frustrated with yourself? Yeah, I was arguing with myself about my sermon last week because I bothered myself. All right, I struck a chord and I didn't put it in my notes. It's something that I just said. And then I felt convicted about for the rest of the week because I was talking to me. You see, when I said, are you participating with mockers with some of the shows you watch? Because right, remember, the, the psalmist tells us that if we join in or participate with the mockers, those who are anti-God, then we won't experience happiness. And so when we're joining in with what they're doing in the world, when we're joining in in their activities and their entertainment, we're joining with them. And the psalmist tells us, well, that's not a way to be happy. That's not a way to experiencing God's blessing. In fact, it's gonna, the exact opposite is going to happen in your life. And that aggravated me. I started pouting all week. Well, what am, what am I going to watch on TV then? Like, what am I going to do? For the record, I'm not talking about Game of Thrones, Fifty Shades of Grey, stuff like that, guys. I don't, I don't watch things like that. But I was thinking about other shows I watch, and I started thinking, I'm just the victim. And I said this, nay, a martyr for the faith. Because I'm missing out on some of these great things on TV. And like within five seconds, my brain process is pretty fast. I don't know about yours. I started thinking about uh, people of the faith and how Peter and Paul would take my complaints. Here I am by, the, by, by any standard in the world. I am rich, living a comfortable life. I go to the beach like on a weekday. Right? Do y'all realize we don't go to vacation to be, we just go whenever we want. Like, I'm just going to go to the beach today, or I'm going to just go to the river. My family's safe. My kids are doing great. I have my health, and I'm complaining about what I watch on TV. Where are y'all at in your life? I'm just telling you, this is where I was. This is why I was bothered. And I thought about the cloud of witnesses who may sympathize with me. I thought about Peter, who tradition says was hung upside down on a cross. Surely he feels bad for me for not being able to watch some of the shows on Netflix. Or surely Paul understands how I feel after giving his adult life to taking the gospel all over the world. Sure, he was beaten. He was rejected. He was stoned. Surely he understands my struggle of sitting on the couch with a blanket eating ice cream at night fussing because I can't watch some of these TV shows. You see, it's in these moments when we're whining and complaining. Y'all ever whine and complain or is it just me? I feel like I'm by myself today. I don't know. Okay, so all of us, okay, you're, you're with me. All right. So I feel like in these moments when we're whining and complaining, if we pay attention, our priorities are clearly shown. We get to see what's important to us. In fact, we see what we're truly worshiping. 
And this is where the psalms of praise or the psalms of worship come crashing into our lives. You see, the psalms of worship call us to focus our attention, direct our worship to the only one who is worthy of our worship. The psalms of praise, which is what we're going to go over today, one of those, help us reorient our lives, help us remind us who we are serving what we're designed to actually do. Because you and I, we were created to worship. You cannot help it. You can't do anything about it. You will give your life away to something. All of us will. That's what it means to be human. And so every person has a God in their life, whether they identify it as that or not, something they chase after, something they give their life to, an overriding passion and desire that they put first place in their life. Like this is the most important thing. Everything else is secondary. I mean, even for the believer folks, we have to be intentional about keeping God first place in our lives. Hence, why the first of the Ten Commandments says this, Exodus 20, verse 3, you must not have any, any other gods before me. And we have to understand that when this was written way back in the day, the world was way more of a mystery than it is to now, than it is now. All of the gods people worshiped were connected to a pleasure or a need they had in life. For instance, Baal, the god of the Canaanites, he controlled the weather. And in an agrarian society, you need the rain to eat, to sow your crops, to feed your sheep. I mean, if you didn't have rain, you didn't have anything. And so that God was the most important thing because it provided all of these other things. All the plethora of gods you read about in the Bible that, that aren't really gods, by the way, all of them are connected to some pleasure or some need in life. And today we're so advanced, we don't call them gods. We don't call them idols, but they're functionally, and this is important, they're functionally the same exact thing. Which is why the second command is this. Second of the commandments is this. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or the earth and the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Now an idol is a representation of this false God, right? It gave them something to touch, to look at, to control. And we can look at idolatry as like barbaric, archaic, like who would worship a thing? Who would pray to a thing? Who would take time to just deal with and worship and cherish and honor a tangible thing? I mean, who would care about things so much? And then we start thinking about our storage units and our sheds and our garages and realize that as humans, we like to hold on to things, don't we? We like these tangible things to control, to worship, to, to, to put on a mantle. To, well, we, say, we don't say it like that. They were at least honest back then. We don't think that they meet this need, but why do we hang on to them so much, if nothing else, because it has sentimental value? 
But bowing down is referring to giving our lives away, devotion, attention to things. When we prioritize things or a thing or an attachment, an affection to them, like this thing makes me feel good. If we want satisfaction, if we want pleasure for these things, the Bible calls that idolatry. The Bible calls that worship. So to bring these two together, the first command is, the first of the Ten Commandments is not to have any other gods, not to make, it, not to make a representation or have this idol of any of these, these gods, nothing that you give your life away to. And look at why God says in verse 5, look at how he deals with this. Next verse. It says, you must not bow to them or worship them for the Lord your God. He's a what? Right? He's a jealous God who will not what? Yeah, and I warn people about this. They don't like it very much. But God will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. When you worship something else, when it's idolatry, when you cherish, when it's the priority in your life, I'm just letting you know, God will crush that. And it's not fun. It's not pretty when he's ripping these things out of your life. It's not fun. This is why he warns us. This is a human problem. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have told us all about it. In fact, the part that we usually neglect but then end up regretting later in life is when we see it in our kids. But look at what he says if we continue in the verse. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even the children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. And the idea is simply, there's a high probability you're going to pass down to your kids what you worship. You may not do it on purpose, but your kids pick up way more than the things you say, don't they? They pick up your habits. They pick up your schedules. They just pay attention to you. So your kids will be accountable for the things you teach them. So your kids aren't off the hook. They're like, well, I didn't know. My parents taught me. They're still responsible. They're still going to have to deal with that. So if you taught your kids to worship sports, work, sex, whatever it is, when they follow in your path, they are on the hook for it as well. All you have to do is read about David and Solomon in the Bible and make those connections, folks. It's right there for us to see. But he also promises this if we get it right, verse 6. He says, but I lavish, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. When it comes to worship, what we give our lives away to matters. What we prioritize needs to be important for us. What we give our time, talents, and treasures to is clearly a big deal and has generational consequences. You see, the entire idea in the Bible is this, folks, that you and me, we were created to worship. And we will worship something. And this idea of the first command, the second command, this idea that we were made to worship is the background for the Psalms of Praise. For the psalms of worship, they remind us and encourage us to get this right. Psalms 115 verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Right from the beginning, we see the psalmist call us to worship. 
to glorify the Lord. Right from the beginning, we are reminded what our purpose on this earth really is, not for our glory. Folks, you should try that every day. Lord, not for my glory, but for yours. Not about me, but about you. They are, the psalmist is concerned to call on us to focus on what really matters. That is the glory of God. And so as worshipers, we are to prioritize his glory. Meaning everything we do should point to him and not to us. We're not here for ourselves, but we're here for his purpose and his plan. You see, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, pray, excuse me, tongue tied this morning, you're just going to have to deal with it. It's what happens, okay? But the background of Jesus' prayer is this. Look at Matthew 6. It says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name, there it is, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' prayer is rooted in the psalmist's expression of not to us, but to you be the glory. This is a call to worship, an invitation to remind us that it's all about God, not about us. Verse 2, he says, why? Now we come to his concern. Why let the nation say, Where is their God? In their lives and in our lives, problems can cause doubt on what God's doing. Problem causes doubt on the power of God. People doubting God, wondering why God is doing what he's doing, isn't a new thing. But I love their response. You ready for this? They ask, where's your God? You ever ask, has anybody ever asked you, why does God allow? Why doesn't God do this? Has y'all ever been asked stuff like that? Here's your response. It's biblical. Verse three, our God is in heaven and does as he wishes. You're like, that's not a satisfying answer. But it's true. God doesn't answer to you. God does what he wishes We can't control him. And we need to remind ourselves from time to time that we don't have to defend God. God doesn't need our defense. We are told in the Bible to give reason for our hope that lies within us. Not to defend why God chooses to do what he chooses to do. Now, I love to help people make sense of why God chooses and tells us to do things. I've learned that following Jesus really does make you better at life. And, and I hope you've learned that too. Like being honest is a good thing, right? Loving people rather than hating them. That's a pretty great thing to do, isn't it? Like doing what Jesus asks us to do really does make your life better. And it seems to me that Jesus has some inside knowledge about how life works, I believe because he's God, right? Like that's how I understand that. But the psalmist reminds us God is not accountable to us. We are accountable to him. God created us. We didn't create him. However, those who are asking these questions, the psalmist says, well, our God does whatever he wants, but your God, verse four, Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear and mouths but cannot breathe. They have hands but cannot feel and feet but cannot walk and throats but cannot make a sound. The reminder is 
all of these idols, all of these things that want our attention, want our affection, these, these false gods are simply man-made things that cannot save us. They're not real. All of the features, all of the things that humans, this is just a human creation, something they made, whether it's your sport or whether it's your job or whether it's an actual figurine. This is just a man-made thing that only has the power that man gives it. It's not a God thing. And he drives the point home in verse 8. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. In other words, you become what you worship. All of us are headed somewhere, and C.S. Lewis says it the best, so we're just going to read him. I practiced the quote about 15 times. I should get this one. Ready? It says, every time you make a choice, you are turning to the central part. You are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your innumerable choices and all your lifelong, you were slowly turning into the central thing, into a heavenly creature, into a hellish creature. Lewis says you were either turning into a hellish creature or a heavenly creature. Don't you love that imagery? You are what you worship. We folks are becoming more like Jesus by what we worship, or are we becoming more like a hellish creature from below? Because not only are we created to worship, we are created to grow. And we're going to grow in one way or the other. And the problem, the psalmist says, with all of this stuff is none of it's going to save you. It has no power. But then he calls Israel to trust in the Lord. Here's what he says, verse 9. He says, oh, Israel, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. Oh, priest, descendants of Aaron, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. And all you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. Now this word helper, helper is very, very important for our theology. It's the word Isaiah, which means God is our helper because he's able to save and deliver. Now two-thirds of the time, this is used for God helping us. God delivering us and God saving us in our time of need, which means, and this is important, this word is there, this word helper, by no means means, yep, that makes sense, by no means means that God is inferior to us, does it? Right, it's because God is God, he can come and aid us and help us in our time of need. But you see, this is the same word used when speaking about Eve being created, that she was created to be the Isaiah, the helper. In no way, folks, does that ever mean she's inferior, just as God isn't inferior. But women were created to, to display these certain attributes of God, to come alongside of men to bring strength and aid, not because they're inferior. Seems to me that men couldn't figure it all out. What do y'all ladies think? Yeah, God's like, y'all ain't getting this right. Y'all need some women. Mm -hmm. That's what he created them for. We'll do a study on this in a later date. And if you want, want us to do a study on gender, like really hot topic issue today, isn't it? Just let me know and we'll put that on the calendar. Fill out a connection card. Tell me you want, want us to do a gender series. 
But listen, when you partner this, this idea of God being our helper with the idea of his shield, right? He's your helper, is there and your shield. We get this picture of a warrior, of God being this warrior who's come, his, he's our ally who comes to us in our time of need. So the idea is God is our great warrior ready to help and shield us, those in their time, excuse me, those who trust and fear him. Verse 12, he continues. He says, the Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the people of Israel and bless the priest and the descendants of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and lowly. May the Lord richly bless both of you and your children. The author is reiterating the second command, which happened, which is about the worship. Remember what he says here in Exodus. Next slide, he says, but I lavish my unfilling love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey me. He's just restating the promise of what happens when we prioritize our worship. He says, you're not going to be disappointed if you trust in the Lord. He will come through in your life, unlike the idols who cannot come through. They're not real. They won't work. They're just things like they'll never save you. Trusting in God, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, he will remember you. Like he will come through because he is God and he can only do what he can do. And as Christians, may we never forget that our salvation is the greatest blessing that we've ever received. Knowing that through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven and we've been redeemed and set free that we have been made right with God and when he ushers in his kingdom, he will bring us with him into all eternity to dwell with him forever. Folks, that is an amazing blessing. Our salvation is something we talk about. We almost act like it's not a big deal. It's just common language, but it is the biggest deal. That is our blessing from God. God's blessing is a result of his unfailing love of those who Obey him. Look at verse 15, continuing the Psalms. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. And this is something, folks, we should just pause and consider. I hope the language like this that we've seen throughout our Psalm study, if you're doing the reading with us, you just see how they always pondered and just thought about how amazing the universe is and how we have a God who still cares and loves us. I mean, the more we learn about space, the more we learn about the vastness of space, the more we understand the vastness and the greatness of our God. He is limitless. He is endless. Like we can never outgive God. And the simple fact that God has given the earth to humanity, like to enjoy and to explore and to play around on, isn't that just an amazing thought to think about? I think so. This week in our small group text on Psalm, uh, we had one of our members, one of our church members write this about Psalms 8. Look at this. He says, Psalm 8 to me is a beautiful intersection of humanity and science. I see science as an attempt to understand how the world works as we marvel at its beauty and its complexity. The fact that we can tease out anything, that there, that there exists cause and effect, that math can, now listen, I'm pretty sure this was a math dig on me. Do you see the capital letters can? 
Pretty sure he's picking at me about my math, but we're going to continue. That math can describe aspects of the universe is amazing. It doesn't have to be that way, but God created the universe with rules that could be understood by humans. It's wild how extremely complex and beautiful nature is. Next slide. But then above all, the complexity and beauty of the natural world, God made humans special. We are what we... What are we compared to the beauty of the cosmos, the complexity of quantum mechanics, the intricacies of the ecosystems, the cooperation of cells to make organs and organs to make bodies? What are we that God gives us his favor, time, and attention? The only reason we are important in any sense is that God decided that we are. Isn't that amazing? It's humbling and beautiful. You see, why I like it even more is because he's a physics professor, right? You probably picked up one. He's a smart dude, isn't he? Just to let you know, this is the kind of education you get at Coastal Carolina, not Clemson. You should have went to Coastal, but you chose Clemson, so you won't learn about stuff like this. You're going to get a second-rate education. But the only reason we're special, folks, is because God decided we are. He has chosen to give us this earth. So we are his stewards of it. And what is our response to the amazingness of God? The one of vastness who chooses to love us and chooses to call us and love us and bless us with great salvation. There's only one response. Verse 17 says, the dead cannot sing praises to the Lord for they have gone into the silence of the grave. But we can praise the Lord both now and forever. So the call, folks, is to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so how do you do that throughout the week? How do you keep your mind on praising and worshiping God? You see, the one thing that's helped me keep my mind on God and praise him continually is the plethora of scripture I'm holding myself accountable to read right now. So I'm doing the life transformation group as I suggest you guys do it. I'm going to do it too, right? And so me and my buddy, we're going through Galatians. And now we're doing the Psalms. And then whatever um, uh, passage I'm preaching, I have to digest that. Like I'm holding myself accountable. You're like, Brian, all you do is get paid to read scripture. Like that's what you do. What are you complaining about? I do other things, I promise. But I'm letting you know, like this is what I do outside of work hours, trying to, trying to just be consumed with God's word. And what I'm just reminded about is how I have plenty of time. Like when I'm sitting on the couch complaining about I don't have any time, but complaining about the Netflix shows, like do you get my point? Like the thing that's really helped me keep me on course and keep me on track is just the plethora of scripture and being reminded of how great God really is. You see, this week I had a lot going on and I, cut, I kept, caught myself saying, the Lord is your helper and shield. Like I kept repeating that, the Lord is your helper and shield. You ever gotten like a bad place in a week where you just had a lot going on, you couldn't think straight, and then everything you did think about wasn't productive? Y'all ever had those kind of days? Yeah, okay, not just me, right? It's a hamster wheel where you just keep thinking about negativity, negativity, negativity. And next thing you know, you're thinking about stuff that's not realistic, things that aren't going to happen, but you're just caught in that wheel. And what got me off this wheel was the plethora of reading in this psalm. And it just kept coming to mind. The Lord is your helper and your shield. The Lord is your helper and your shield. The Lord, and it just kept repeating and repeating, repeating, like the Spirit used it to get me off that hamster wheel. 
Does that make sense? It just beat me with that Lord. And I'm like, what? I I don't know. The Lord knocked me off the hamster wheel of that self-pity party I like to throw all the time. And then I just sat up and just, I just sat up, but you get it, the illustration, right? And I started thinking, I was like, what was I even worried about? Like the Lord is my help. Like he's got this. He is God. He's in control. He's going to come to my aid and in my time of need and protect me. And like God got this. When I get caught up with praising God, my mind becomes clear. And we have to be intentional about praising God because we have an enemy who's intentional about distracting us, setting us off track, and wanting us to believe all these lies that just aren't true. Folks, we are made to worship. And the Psalms were designed to help us get back on track, like these back on track, these songs of praise, to get these little things that God is our helper and chill, just to repeat it and praise and thank God, lead you to a place of trusting in Him. And so, with all of that about idolatry and praising God, my question for you this morning is simply this What idols have you created in your life? What things do you worship outside of God? What things compete for your attention, time, pleasure? What things are you drawn to? Kyle Eidelman in his book, God at War, lists several modern day idols in our lives. He argues we've set up these temples for him and all of these temples contain these, these little gods, this idolatry that we can cling to. If you haven't went through the book, it's a great small group study. But here's what he says. He said, we have the temple of pleasure which has inside of it the God of food, the God of sex, the God of entertainment. Gluttony is a real sin, and obviously I have issues with it. That's why I don't want to talk about it. But going to food for comfort and eating and overeating and just getting your pleasure from that is a sin, And God's a pleasure seeker, right? We learn that in the scripture. But when we take these things he's given us, entertainment, food, and sex, and they become a priority in our lives, when we start worshiping them and caring more about them than God, that's when it is a problem. For instance, when our sexual desires override God's command, we have an idolatry problem. When we overindulge in food as a place of comfort, we have an idolatry problem. When we choose entertainment over God or knowing or following God, we have an idolatry problem. This is the one I struggle with the most, folks, the temple of pleasure. I don't like pain. How about y'all? I don't deal with it very well, so I'd rather run to pleasure, just being honest. Then we have the temple of power, the God of success, the God of money, the God of achievement. If you don't get that job or if you don't get that promotion, what, did, what do you do? Thinking about your career and understanding it has an expiration date, does it excite you or do you lose your identity over it? In the military, we saw it all the time. When someone retires, there goes their identity. That's who they were. They don't know how to be anything but that. For the God of money, do you manage your money or does your money manage you? Do you believe that success and achievements make you something? Do you hand your resume out to everyone and they don't even ask? 
That's the God. Excuse me, that's the temple of power. Then we have the temple of love. And that's the God of romance, the God of family, and the God of me. And finding love is a great thing. Thinking love is going to solve your problems is a terrible thing. It does not work that way. Love and romance can quite often make your life far more difficult. And the next person isn't going to fix your issues because you'll still be there, won't you? But the God of family, I'm afraid my generation has made an idol probably more than any other. We put our children on the, um, on the altar and we worship them. Don't believe me? You're like, no, we do believe you. We already do. Well, I have some questions anyways. Who controls your schedule? Your kids' activities are yours. Does God come anywhere in there at all? Does your kids' activities or your kids' activities prioritized over worship? Is that more important than ensuring they know Jesus Christ and submit to Him? You see, the scriptures teach us to raise our kids well, but that's also defined in scripture, and it has nothing to do with baseball, football, jujitsu, or academics. It has everything to do with teaching them to love God prioritizing God. If you want to be a good parent, that's what you do. The rest of the stuff is pointless. If they don't love God with their everything, the rest of it doesn't matter. And here's the deal, folks. Admitting you have an idolatry problem isn't a big deal. Like, what do you mean? It's not a big deal. You know why? We all have one. That's why the Bible talks about it so much. Ignoring it, not putting in its proper place, worse yet thinking that you've arrived and you don't have any sin in your life, now that's a problem. But all of us struggle in some area. All of us are drawn to put something over God. Because folks, the reason why we sin is because we put something before God. All sin can be traced back to idolatry to where we think something or something else is going to give us what only God can give us. And Jesus tells us you can't serve two masters. So who are you prioritizing? Folks, this is what the Psalms of praise do. They remind us and encourage us. Not to us, oh Lord, but to you be the glory. Will you pray with me?